We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Spurs Up Show, the best Gamecocks podcast on the internet. Today is Monday, July the 27th, 2020. On today's show, we continue along with the position unit preview series today. I'm breaking down the Gamecocks kickers and punters going into 2020 football season. We're giving the specialists some love here on a Monday. We'll take a look back at 2019. We'll meet the kickers and punters. I'll talk about who has the most approved, the best overall. Season will be successful if give my overall grade for the unit much, much more. Also, have some news and notes to get into your listener questions. And we have a fantastic conversation. Aaron Fit of D1Baseball.com joins the show to talk with me about a couple of Gamecocks in the summer ball rankings. We're talking about Carolina baseball as a whole, how he views the landscape of college baseball after the COVID pandemic. Much, much more from a fantastic conversation. So sit back, relax, enjoy, guys. It's all brought to you by our friends over at SeatGeek. SeatGeek, the best ticket buying app by far, the only ticket buying app I use, and the only one I recommend. Go download the SeatGeek app or go to SeatGeek.com. Use the promo code SPURSUP. You're going to save $20 off your first purchase. Guys, sports are back. Sports are back. I've been watching Major League Baseball all weekend long. The NBA returns this week. College football is going to happen. NFL is going to happen. And eventually, eventually, I don't know when, but eventually we're not going to have to look at cardboard cutouts in the stands where fans should be. Fans are going to be back in there. Concerts, comedy club events, all that good stuff's going to return. People are going to be in the seats. Be sure to use our friends at SeatGeek. You want to be on top of that. Make sure you are getting your tickets. You're getting the best bang for your buck. Guys, I think fans might be in the seats in the stadiums for football season. I mean, we're talking about different plans, having 20%, 30%, 50%, Whatever it might be, you want to go watch your team play, use the SeatGeek app. they got a great ticket rating system for you, which rates the tickets based on the type of deal you're getting. Guys, they do all the work for you. And listen to this. Scalping is a thing of the past. Nobody's going to scalp anymore. You're not going to exchange tickets with people like that. You're not going to have that that person-to-person exchange, right, because all the COVID stuff, you want to be sure, make sure you're being healthy. You don't put yourself at risk or anything. Everything is going to be done online. Everything's going to be done through an app. SeatGeek is by far – the best one. They're changing the game when it comes to ticket buying, guys. And like I said, they make it super simple, super easy for you. The ticket rating system makes sure you are getting the absolute best bang for your buck. You're going to know where you're sitting, what you're paying for, you overpaying, are you getting a deal? So you can make the best possible decision. You can spend your money. You can have that peace of mind when you click the buy buttons. You can simply just go and enjoy your event. So again, that's our friends at SeatGeek. Go download the SeatGeek app or go to SeatGeek.com. Use the promo code SPURSUP, that's S-P-R-S-U-P, to save $20 off your first purchase. Let's get it.
right, what's up, guys? Happy Monday. I'm Chris Phillips. There's the Spurs Up Show, as always. Appreciate you guys tuning in. Have a packed show. Again, I hope everybody's having a fantastic Monday, staying safe, staying healthy. I hope everyone had a great weekend as well. I know I did. Filled with watching Major League Baseball. Filled with watching the Atlanta Braves. Um, fantastic. I, I'm just so elated, excited that sports are back. There were games to watch. I was able to sit on my couch and catch some games on TV. Feeling that late game stress that your favorite team gives you when they're down or they have a close lead. Feeling that excitement of winning a game. It just all of it. All of it was fantastic, amazing. I think even people that aren't, you know, normally baseball fans probably got some enjoyment out of watching baseball over the weekend. And if you didn't, NBA returns this week. Last Chance U is coming out as well. It's a fantastic time to be a sports fan with everything, you know, sort of returning back to normal. So, again, everything's not back to normal, but we have games to watch. It was so funny seeing the cardboard cutouts in the MLB stadiums and who knows if we might have the same thing in football, but just to have games on TV again felt fantastic. Again, hope you all had a fantastic weekend, staying safe, staying healthy, all that good stuff, taking care of yourselves. Um, really excited about today's show, though. We are 40 days from kickoff. We're continuing along with the position unit preview series today. You're obviously breaking down the Gamecock specialists, mainly the kickers and punters going into this season. We all love talking about special teams. Uh, before we dive in that, before we get into everything, as always, guys, be sure if you haven't done so, Rate, subscribe, go leave five stars, leave your thoughts, leave your feedback, whether you're on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, whatever the platform may be. And I know a lot of you have already done this, which I really do appreciate. Take five seconds out of your day. Go leave five stars. Go leave your thoughts, your feedback. If there's things you like, things you don't like about the show, that's the best place to do it. And again, it helps boost up the podcast. So maybe those that haven't heard of the Spurs Up show can find it. So if you could go, like I said, take five seconds, do that. And for those that have already done so, I truly do appreciate it. Also, like I said, make sure you hammer that subscribe button. You want to be sure you're getting the notifications when the show drops. If you're not following on social media, if you're not subscribed on YouTube, take five seconds out of your day again to do that. I really, really do appreciate it. And again, thank you to those that already have done that and are supporting the Spurs Up show. Also, wanted to relay or re uh, just remind you guys really quickly, the Twitch playoffs March Madness returns this week, Tuesday and Thursday, hopefully Thursday. Tuesday, though, we are taking, the nor- taking on the North Carolina Tar Heels in the Final Four. Tip-off should be at 7 o'clock. I will announce officially on social media, obviously. But tip-off at 7 o'clock Tuesday night against the North Carolina Tar Heels should be a lot of fun. Also, one last thing I'll say, just a teaser, guys. Got some big things coming over the next I would say week and a half two weeks really really excited some new content rolling out you guys just be sure to stay tuned for that but something that I think you know as we get closer to football see I think you guys will really enjoy it and it's gonna you know it's gonna include you guys as, as well as you know involving the fans the listeners everything um I'm really excited about it. So just be sure to stay tuned. New stuff coming your way. Just want to let you guys know. Um, but let's dive into the meat and potatoes of the show, which is the position unit preview series. We're continuing along talking about the Gamecocks, kickers, and punters. Yes, the guys that we seem like they're always forgotten for whatever reason. But these guys are extremely important. And especially when you're a team like South Carolina, where you have questions offensively, Um, where you had a season like last year where you struggled offensively. These guys, the importance is maximized as far as converting drives into some sort of points, a.k.a. field goals, having a punter that can flip field position and help your defense. These guys are extremely important 
for a team like South Carolina. Let's take a look back at 2019 at last season. Parker White, obviously your guy, came in as a junior, um, 18 for 22 on field goals made, so 82%. Had a really, really good year for him. His long was 50. Um, so a really good year for Parker. Obviously, he returns as the senior. He will be your starting kicker, no questions asked. Uh, Joseph Charlton, fantastic season. A guy who just signed with the Carolina Panthers. Should have been a draft pick, in my opinion, but that is another conversation for another show. But Joseph Charlton last year, 68 punts, a 47.71-yard average. Guys, his long was 66. And listen to these numbers just to appreciate how good Joseph Charlton was. 28 punts, he, he put teams inside the 20-yard line. He had 27 50-plus-yard punts. I mean, that's pretty incredible when you think about it. 27 punts of over 50 yards. Fantastic. He leaves South Carolina as the all-time leader in punting average as far as average yards per punt. So, Joseph Charlton, a guy South Carolina, definitely going to miss. I mean, again, you, you can't underappreciate – what a guy like Joseph Charlton meant to this game ball team, especially, like I said, when you have an, a team where the offense is struggling and you need to help your defense. Charlton was that weapon for you. I, I referred to him as a weapon for South Carolina last season, before last season, in the preseason. I thought Joseph Charlton was that weapon for the Gamecocks, and he certainly turned out to be. I mean, again, 47.71-yard average, one of the best in the country. I think he was second in the SEC, and the guy who I think was first was that guy from Texas A&M who – was like an All-American punter. So, Joseph Charlton more than held his own for the Gamecocks, without a doubt. Um, all right, let's meet the kickers and punters heading in this 2020 football season. And I'll also include the other specialists as well, so the long snappers, if you will. Let's go down the list here. We got freshman Matthew Bailey, who's a long snapper. Sophomore Max Derschlag, who's a long snapper. Sophomore Cole Hanna, the kicker. Freshman Alex Herrera, who's a kicker and punter. Senior Christian Kinsley, who's a punter. Freshman Luke Lynn, who is a long snapper. Freshman Will Ross, who's a punter and kicker. Senior Parker White, who's a kicker, obviously. And then senior Alexander Wozniak, who is a kicker as well. Um, let's go ahead and dive into most approved, best overall. Season will be successful if overall grade. You guys know the drill. Uh, most approved, and he's not on that roster yet um, because he is a true freshman, has not enrolled yet, probably is on campus now, but will be on the fall roster when it comes out. And that is freshman punter. Kai Kroger. Kai Kroger, a guy that's coming in with a lot of hype, um, a ton of accolades. Again, he's a three-star punter on 247 Sports, but a guy, when you look at the punter rankings, because punter rankings and kicker rankings are different than normal player rankings, right? Um, they are different than normal player rankings. So people ask, oh, how is he a five-star punter, but this guy is this or whatever. These rankings don't make sense. So these guys are judged different. They're judged by Coles, um, Coles kicking, punting, and snapping. It's a completely different thing, completely different thing. Um, Kai Kroger is, was ranked the number two punter in the country by this Coles uh, kicking service. So a guy that, again, coming in with a lot of hype, has a ton of leg, has a boot. The big question, though, is can he simply fill in the shoes of jo Joseph Charlton? That's why he has the most to prove. Um, like I said, these guys, these specialists, they're underappreciated. They're the most underappreciated group on the field. Nobody thinks about kickers and punters. You know, nobody's judging a college football team off, oh, their kicker's great, so that team's going to be great. Nobody really thinks about that. The only time you think about kickers and punters, they're a lot like offensive linemen. The only time they get any buzz about them, it seems like, is when they mess up or they make a game-winning play, a game-winning kick, whatever. 
Joseph Charlton, though, was a weapon for the Gamecocks. There's no question. He was a weapon for South Carolina. Can Kai Kroger fill in the shoes of Joseph Charlton? Can he not even be the guy that Charlton was? Because, again, as a true freshman, listen, they're big shoes to fill. I mean, Joseph Charlton, the all-time leader in punting average. But can Kai Kroger at least be a serviceable option, average over 40 yards per game or 40 yards per punt? Um, you know, that's going to be the big question mark. And, again, that's why Kai Kroger has the most to prove. Again, I think even as a true freshman, you're coming in as the number two ranked punter in the entire country by that service. He's most likely going to be the guy. He's the guy projected to be South Carolina's starting punter. Again, what puts the pressure on him, and, again, like I said, a team like South Carolina, they're going to be trying to figure it out offensively. You have a defense that you think is really capable, has a lot of talent. You know, a guy like Kai Kroger, these punters, when you have a good punter, you can flip field position. It's a big deal. It's a very, very big deal. So, can Kai Kroger come in, number one, take the job, you know, play it to his potential, be the guy that you recruited him to be that you think you, he, you were getting when you were recruiting him? And then, like I said, not even copy what Joseph Charlton did because, again, what Charlton did was phenomenal. I mean, he was fantastic. But can Kroger come in and simply be the guy who is a solid replacement and, again, help out this South Carolina football team? Flip field position. Pin your opponent deep back. Can he do that? Should be interesting to see. Again, the punter position so underrated. It's so underrated. Kroger, I think, could be a weapon for this Gamecocks football team. And, again, it just it's one of those things you don't really think about it until you have a kicker or a punter that stinks. But South Carolina was very spoiled with Joseph Charlton over the last couple of years. So hopefully Kroger is the next guy who can fill in and continue on that lineage of good punters at South Carolina. Uh, best overall, no surprise here, it's kicker Parker White, the senior. You know, it, it is so crazy with Parker White because I remember, was it going into the 2000? Yeah, it would have been going in 2018. You know, we all remember Parker White's first year. Abysmal, awful, terrible. Had a rough rough go at it and he has bounced back in a big way you know I think has been very dependable for South Carolina again 18 for 22 last year which is 82 percent his long from 50 I mean he was very dependable there was no time last year where I felt you know bad about Parker White um you know lining up for a kick or whatever I feel very confident with Parker White the kicker now I don't think he's one of these guys that's going to go out there and drill a 55 yarder I don't think at least not what from what we've seen, I don't think he's that guy right now. I think he's a solid option for South Carolina. He's definitely the best overall, though, when it comes down to kickers, punters, all your specialists. Parker White, the senior, has the most experience. He's hit a game winner in his career, um, 2018 against Louisiana Tech. So he's he's made a big kick. He's made some big kicks for South Carolina. Um, you know, I, I think still at times. You'd like to see a little more out of him. You know, he definitely got, you know, just to be fair, he got bailed out last year against Georgia. He got bailed out. You know, a lot of people forget when he missed that kick because South Carolina went on to win that game. But that was a big miss. And I think it was like a 37-yard. It wasn't that long, if it was that long. So, you know, he got bailed out there. Again, I think he's a really solid option for South Carolina. By far, he's the best overall amongst the specialists for the Gamecocks. But I'd like to see him even take that next step for South Carolina. Um, to be an even more reliable option. You know what I mean? So, But, again, best overall for Parker White. And this sort of bleeds into season will be successful if. 
for this group. And to me, it all revolves around Parker White. The season will be successful for the specialists if the coaching staff continues to put Parker White in positions to be successful. Because, listen, I think the biggest key with Parker, and I think what the coaching staff learned, I thought they did a great job with it last year, they're not asking him to do more than he's capable of doing. You know, that first year, I thought that was the biggest problem. This staff was asking him to make 54-yarders, 53-yarders, 55-yarders, like the all these over 50-yard field goal attempts. And, I mean, there aren't a ton of guys in college football that can consistently hit those anyways. But with Parker White that first year, I mean, we all saw, you know, you miss a kick and then you miss another and then you miss another. And it's a lot like golf. It's a mental thing. It's all a mental thing. It's all about tempo and rhythm, but it's all mental. And once it sort of snowballs on you and you miss two, three, four in a row, that's what we saw Parker White's freshman year. was terrible. Um, I think if the coaching staff can simply continue to put Parker White in those positions to where he's more than likely going to make it, you know, I, I think over 50 you should go for it. I think 40 – honestly, I think if it's a 45 to 50-yard attempt, if you've got third and – or fourth in, uh, you know, less than five, you know, depending where you are on the field, obviously. I mean, I think you should think about going for it. Because, again, it's just not, you know, part, again, you got to know Parker White's limitations. And I'm not saying that Parker White cannot go out there and hit a 50-yarder. That's not what I'm saying. But Parker White shows you a few years ago, like, he, he's, you know, he's just like every other kicker. It's all mental for him. So, you want to put him in good positions to be successful, let him get three, four, five, six makes under his belt, and then maybe you can start stretching out and say, hey, try to go hit this 52-yard. And they, they did do that last year. They gave him some opportunities to hit some longer ones. But I think his cap is right at 50. Um, again, I'm sure there will be a time this year where they try a 55-yarder, a 53-yard. They're going to give him that opportunity because I think he does have the leg. I, I want to say that he does have the leg. But those are just tough to make, period. So, um, again, I, I think the season's going to be successful for this group. If, if Parker White just continues to be put in, you know, positions to be successful by the coaching staff, if they continue to play it smart with him, I think Parker White will have another good year. Again, he went 18 for 22, 82% last year. I could see him doing the exact same thing um, right around that same percentage. I think Parker White, again, as a senior, really has established himself as a very, very – solid option for the Gamecocks. Overall grade for the specialists, for the kickers and punters, I'm going to give them a B. Um, I'm going to give them a B. Again, you return Parker White, you lose Joseph Charlton. I'm high on what Kai Kroger can do, number two ranked punter in the country when he's being recruited, but those are some massive shoes to fill. Again, I think he'll be a solid option. He's a true freshman. It's kind of wait and see. I think Parker White is a very solid option for you. You could do much, much worse than Parker White. And some guys I also didn't mention, um, Alexander Wozniak does return. Listen, I don't know if he'll be the kickoff guy because Will Tommy is a guy you lose from last year. 53 kickoffs, 32 touchbacks for you. South Carolina was pretty solid, I think, as far as special teams are concerned in that regard. But uh, Wozniak had six kickoffs and five touchbacks. So I'll be interested to see if he takes over that role. But overall, you know, a B. I think South Carolina, listen, is solid on special teams. I think they are solid as far as the kickers and punters are concerned. Again, the question mark – can you replace Joseph Charlton? Can you can Kai Kroger even be 80% of what Joseph Charlton was? And I think if he can, I think he obviously can. But if he can, I think the specialist for South Carolina should be a solid group. Definitely should not be a weakness. Again, going to give him the overall grade of a B. I was honestly very surprised not to see Parker White on any preseason All-SEC teams because, you know, all these different magazines and uh, 
all these different analysts and experts, if you will, they put out these preseason magazines and these all SEC teams. And, you know, I was, I was certainly a little surprised to see Parker White uh, absent from those lists. But, listen, I think South Carolina is in great hands with Parker White as their kicker. Um, I'm excited for what Kai Kroger can do because, again, I expect him to step in and fill in the shoes of Joseph Charlton. But I'm going to give those guys overall grade. I'm going to give them a B for the kickers and punters. Um, so that is the kickers and punters. Really excited about those guys. Again, um, we will move to the defensive side of the football on Thursday. So very excited to dive into those guys. Let's get into some news and notes because there are some interesting tidbits that I do want to touch on. Um, first things first, Jordan Birch announcing he will be wearing number three for the Gamecocks this year. So taking Javon Kinlaw's number, he put it on his Snapchat. I believe it was Saturday afternoon. Um, he will be wearing number three for the Gamecocks. So, you know, a lot, I know a lot of people were, have had the questions of would he wear zero? You know, what number was he going to wear? And we now know Jordan Birch will wear three. I expect probably this week we're going to find out about uh, – you know, we'll find out what all the newcomers are wearing. I've seen a lot of different, a lot of different teams tweeting about, you know, that they're freshmen, they're newcomers, what the numbers are. So I would imagine South Carolina um, is going to jump on that as well. You know, I, I would certainly think they're going to put that out. But yeah, Javon Kinlaw going to wear number three. And again, hey, three did pretty well for Javon Kinlaw. So, or excuse me, Jordan Birch is going to wear number three. Javon Kinlaw's old number, and I was just going to say three did pretty damn well for Javon Kinlaw. Um, but, yeah, big guys and little numbers, I'm all about that. Love it. I love seeing Jordan Birch in that. I think that should be, that should be a lot of fun. Um, Want to move to some very interesting stuff that came out late last week, so wasn't able to get it on the Thursday show, and then over the weekend as well. And I think this all stemmed from this happening. Bob Castlin, um, I, I'm not sure if it was like what type of meeting it was or somebody just got him for an interview, whatever. But Bob Castlin announcing a, quote, unquote, five-year plan for South Carolina. Um, a lot of different stuff that involved the school and academics and all that different stuff. But obviously, you know, we're, we're really hyper-focused on the athletic side of things. And the Post and Courier was the, the, uh, the newspaper we were referring to. Um, you guys probably saw the post on social media. Bob Kasten was saying he included goals for USC's athletic programs to win with quote-unquote character. Teams are expected to win all games against opponents lower in the national rankings and at least 50% of games against higher-ranked foes. Gamecock teams are also are expected to beat Clemson. So, very interesting. Again, the one thing I love about Castlin is he is making the number one thing, is he's making the rivalry a priority. I think he understands the importance of it. But the thing I almost like more is Castlin's extremely involved athletically. And I think Castlin's going to do whatever it takes to, to make this athletics program one that Gamecock fans can be proud of. And, of course, we know that starts with football. I mean, listen, the athletics department in South Carolina, there's a ton to be proud of. Women's sports has done fantastic. Men's basketball has had their successes here and there. But I think Castlin understands that football is king in the South and football is king at South Carolina. I think he gets that. And I think Castlin's a guy that very much wants success for the football program. He's going to do whatever necessary to make that happen. Now, obviously, I had my commentary, my feedback, especially on Twitter. You know, with him saying don't lose the lower-ranked opponents, beat teams you're supposed to beat is basically what he was saying. You know, Muschamp has not shown he can do that necessarily. Losing to App State, losing to North Carolina. Listen, I know you lost your quarterback. But we can go back other times, almost losing to Louisiana Tech, losing to Virginia in a bowl game. <laughs> I mean, 
There have been other times it's happened, losing to Kentucky five years in a row. And I get not all those were on must champ, losing to Kentucky three years in a row then. Whatever. So I'm at least glad that Castlin is locked in on it. And, you know, I simply made the commentary that I think for South Carolina to achieve the goals that Castlin has set out off of what I've seen to this point, South Carolina's going to need a new head coach. I don't think it's any secret how I feel about Will Mushing. It's no secret. I don't have to go back over it. It is no secret. Now, I think all this started um, some of the other tweets we saw from former South Carolina players. Mike Davis via Twitter on Will Muschamp. This is what Mike Davis said in case you missed it. And this is from his Twitter. No disrespect to the previous players at South Carolina, but do you think the football team would be better with a different head coach? Muschamp is a really good coach, and I think y'all should give him some time. Hayden Hurst then followed up on it and said, I'm a Muschamp guy till the end. He challenges you to work and reach levels you don't know you could get to. Some guys are wired that way and respond. Some don't. I was a nobody, and he gave me an opportunity and challenged me. How will you respond? Um, Mike Davis then replied to Hayden Hurst, I don't like how people really won't give him a chance. He is a great coach. Some very interesting comments. Hayden Hurst, he 100% is. I don't have exact numbers, but how many players does he have in the league? Guys, he's coached at LSU, Texas, Auburn, Florida, South Carolina. That He's coached and recruited some dogs. And I thought this exchange on social media was interesting. Um, a fan by the name of Edel Barrett at Delibird910. Shout out to Edel, um, who doesn't even follow us on Twitter. So there's your free shout out, I guess. Uh, Hayden says, or excuse me, Edel Barrett says, it's good he can put players in the league, but at the end of the day, winning is what matters. He needs to show significant improvement in the W column. This is Hayden Hurst's response. Have you ever met him? Ever sat through a meeting with him? Ever gone through a season with him? Talked X's and O's with him? Discussed life and what it takes to be successful. How to become a man? No. But I'm giving you that insight as a former player. Now, again, and this all, you know, all this conversation sparked the, you know, everybody loves to debate on Will Muschamp. It's just, it is the topic to talk about amongst Gamecock fans because there's such division on it. I, I truly believe that. Because there's such division on it. And obviously, you know, I am and I won't even say fairly or unfairly. It is what it is. I'm labeled as the fire must champ guy, and I'm the big bad guy. I'm the mean guy that, oh, you know, you, you, I'm a hater or whatever. Like, I'm the fire must champ guy. That's the label that some people put on me. That's completely fine. But, and, and, here, and here's my biggest thing, and Hayden Hurst sort of brought it up to me too. And it made me put out the statement I put on Instagram, which was, and you guys probably saw it. I want to make something very clear. I don't dislike Will Muschant the person. He's a great man, runs a great program. Kids graduate. Nobody gets in trouble. Everything in that regard is great. But, but he gets paid to win football games. And that's been his biggest deficiency at Florida and South Carolina. And I know 95% of you understand that. You get that that it's nothing personal. But like with Hayden Hurst in his tweet, when he's saying, have you ever met him, sat with a meeting with him? Listen, I'm a Hayden, I'm a Hayden fan, even though he refuses to come on my podcast for whatever reason. I'm a Hayden guy. And it goes for Hayden and Mike Davis. Have offered them both. Would love to have them both on to discuss this. If these former players want to get their, really get their thoughts out there, I'd be more than happy to have them on. 
Because they have more insight than I do, obviously. But, dude, here's the thing. Everything Hayden said is true of the opportunities given him. How great of a dude, Muschamp. Listen, I have met Will Muschamp. I've spent hours with him on a golf course. He is a likable guy. He, he's a cool dude. I, I will tell you, he is a cool dude. Like, for real. Very likable. But you don't make $4.5 million to be a cool dude. You just don't. To be likable. And that's exactly what I responded to hated her stating on social media, but I'm going to say right now. Like, I understand that all matters when you're building the culture of a program. And that stuff is all great. It really is. I'm happy and proud that South Carolina runs a clean program, does the things they do, you know, off the field, in the ops building, with the kids, all that stuff. We know, nobody wants to see our program full of, you know, full of trouble and, you know, drugs. And you just like, you know, nobody wants to see that. But again, the dude gets paid to win football games. This isn't that hard. I feel like I'm explaining something that doesn't need an explanation. But people, you know, and I don't really care. Again, I, it doesn't bother me, but I do just want to talk about it. People love to come at me because they, and again, I could do a whole other show about this one topic alone, but I'll just never understand why people take it so personally. I don't dislike Will Muschamp, the person, the human being. I think he's a fine person. I have nothing against him as a person. But when you make the type of money these guys make, when you get paid what they get paid to coach a sport, Will Muschamp makes more in a year than a lot of you listening will make in a life. To coach a sport, okay? To coach a sport. These guys can handle a little bit of criticism here and there. And Will Muschamp deserves every bit of it he gets. You'll never convince me otherwise. You'll never convince me otherwise. When you're on that level, it comes with the job. It comes with it. Nobody wants to see success more than me for Will Muschamp. I've literally said it multiple times. And I'll pull the audio clip at some point as we get closer to the season. I hope we go undefeated. I will personally, if South Carolina goes, if, if South Carolina wins seven or more games this season, assuming we have a normal season, okay, if they win seven or more games, I will personally handwrite an apology letter and send it to the facility for Will Muschamp. And I will read it aloud on social media for everyone to hear it. And that'll be it. That'll be it. I, hey, you know what? I was wrong. I will gladly do that. But until that happens, there's plenty of evidence that's going to show you why Will Muschamp is not the guy to get South Carolina where it wants to go. He's not. I, listen, I think the comments from Mike Davis are very interesting, and he agreed with me on social media when I simply told him that, you know, it's about South Carolina fans are not asking Will Muschamp to win 10-plus games. They're not. But making a bowl game and not losing to Appalachian State, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. I really do. I think it's fair. You know, we already had 
Brett Siancia on the show last week talking about the win conversion numbers. It's on paper. Will Muschamp is doing the least with the most with the talent that is on campus. Bottom line. And again, the best thing about this entire situation, I don't really have to like to exhaust myself debating it. The season's going to tell us. The, 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 the results on the field will make it very clear and evident. Very clear. If South Carolina misses a bowl game, he should be fired. And there should be no argument. Should be none. With the talent that is on. This is a roster, guys. I'm going to tell you right now. This is a roster that should win seven games. Period. It's a roster that should win seven games. That's why I don't give a pass for last year, really. I, I know Ryan Helensky was a true freshman. I get it. But that was a roster that with Helensky should have won six games. And guess what? That was a roster that with a healthy Jake Bentley lost to North Carolina. Lost to North Carolina. So, you know, I, I know people love to bring up the quarterback injury thing, but I don't, re- I don't really know that Jake Bentley being healthy would have made that much of a difference last year. I think maybe we finished five and seven. I mean, you'd certainly like to think Jake Bentley beats App State at home. You really would. And maybe the Missouri game turns out differently because, you know, Ryan had a freshman game that day. And it's fine. It happens. But the pick six, the weird fumble thing, which, again, it was just a weird day. Maybe with Jake, that doesn't happen. You win that game. But does South Carolina beat Georgia with, with Jake Bentley? I, I don't know. Do they? Be, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. So, it's just, you know, but the talent on that roster last year was not a 4-8 and eight team. That should have been at least a six-win team, seven-win team in my opinion. So, again, and I've already made all these points. I've gone over it time, time and time again. And you guys aren't going to hear me every single week this season. If the season goes how a lot of us are expecting, which, you know, Somewhere between four and eight and seven and five, but especially if it goes the four and eight, five and seven route, even six and six route, you're not going to hear me every single week explaining the same things I've touched on before. You're just not, I mean, because it's already out there. You guys know at this point, you know my feelings on it. So listen, I, I like, and I would expect nothing less than Will Muschamp's players, former players whatever, guys that even didn't play for him but that are former players that have met him, to stand up for him or or to talk positively positively of him. He's a good dude. I mean, I think he's a good person. Like, I think he's an extremely likable guy. And I will say, I think that's one of the things that makes it so tough for Gamecock fans. Because I think there's a lot of people that probably hear what I'm saying because a lot of what I say is just stats. Like, there's no feelings in the numbers, you know? There's no feelings in the numbers. You know, I, I see people on social media a lot get pissed off when I put stats out. And it's like, I, you know, I, I didn't I, – this is not an opinion. These are statistics. These are statistics. I didn't make these numbers. But I think what happens is that people like him so much as a person and he is such a likable guy, it's tough to hear the criticisms of him. But there are things that need to be said. 
And if I'm the, I know, I'm, if I'm the only one in the Gamecock world that will say these things, that's completely fine. I, I will be that guy. I've always been, I have no problem being that guy. All I can be is genuine to myself, and you guys respect that, and you fuck with me, and that's why you listen with this show. That's why you listen to this show, period. You could go listen to any other South Carolina podcast that's all fuzzy and warm feelings and wears the garnet glasses and pretend like, pretends like everything's okay and wants to, you know, act like nothing's wrong and we have the best coach in the country and everything's sunshine and rainbows. That's just not how I roll. Like, I, I, I want to call it how I see it so we can make it better, so we can, you know, evaluate what's going on. Again, I, I hope we go 12-0 and this year. If, if we play conference only, hope we go 8-0. I mean, obviously, I do. We'll see. The results on the field will tell us. But, you know, it was interesting because, again, it, it just sparked this debate all up again, you know, with Castlin saying that. And, obviously, the commentary, I, I, you know, I, I give out. And, you know, I love it. I love the banter. I love the back and forth. Um, and Mike Davis had a lot of other things to say. And I'm on his Twitter right now. He had a lot of other things to say about – must champ, and I guess just what's going on. Um, let's see. I'm trying to find. He had a couple other tweets, I think. You know, talking about his era, how much talent they had at South Carolina. You know, he says this. The schedule has been brutal, and to blame stuff on the head coach is a little harsh is basically what I'm saying. You know, I mean, listen, it is what it is. The, the, the schedule is harsh, but the schedule is going to be harsh forever. <laughs> The schedule's going nowhere. The schedule's going nowhere. He also said this, which was very interesting. When I say we had a lot of talent at when I, South Carolina, I mean that. We was stacked. I just think it's not fair for y'all to hold Muschamp to the same standards. It's a new era. It's like I said. Mike, nobody's asking Muschamp to go do what y'all did, win 10 games. Nobody. But making a bowl? Missing a bowl should never be okay at South Carolina. Should never. Less than seven wins, in my opinion, should be a bad season in Columbia. It should be a bad year. That should be the next step with the South Carolina program. And I'll tell you this, man, and again, People don't like to hear the honesty. That's completely fine. Again, there are other Gamecock podcasts. There are other guys on social media, these other little shows out there that, you know, they're going to pander to you and they're, they're going to they're gonna give you that sunshine and rainbows feeling. Oh, you know, we're, we're great. We all love our team and our team's so good and, like, everything is great. And because you're a Gamecock, you're the best and yada, yada, yada. You can go hear that bullshit all you want. You can go hear that bullshit all you want. But I'm going to point out this as well. You know what the difference between South Carolina football and Florida football is? South Carolina football, and listen, I understand there are reasons, the buyout, blah, 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 whatever. South Carolina football did everything in its power. Bring Muschamp back after four and eight in year four. Florida went seven and five in year four of Will Muschamp and fired him. They fired him. After going seven and five, that's the difference. That, that's the difference in the two programs. That's the difference. I mean, honestly, that's the difference. So I res I'll say this. Like I said, 
I'd love to have Mike Davis and or Hayden Hurst come on this show. I'd love to hear their thoughts on Will Muschamp. I think they have fantastic insight that we don't have. I don't have, you don't have, none of us have. We have not been in those locker rooms with Will Muschamp, none of that. And I think Will Muschamp is a fantastic guy, players coach. I think he cares about his players. I know his players love him. His players loved him at Florida. That's not what he gets. But he, he gets paid to win games. And it, the, it's a business, and they get paid so much. That's what you have to be judged on. Again, the results on the field are going to tell us all we got to know. I'm not going to have to lobby for him being fired. I shouldn't have to, at least. If they go four and eight, just, I shouldn't have to say a word. I won't have to say a word. I trust that. I really, at this point, trust Castle, and I will not have to say a word. But we'll see what happens. Again, it's, it's, it's very interesting. The, 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 the must-champ conversation is very interesting because, again, I feel like it's so split. But I think there are people that support him just for the sake of he's our head coach. And I don't not support him, but I'm critical. He deserves it. What has he done? It's like people forgot we lost to App State. They forgot we lost to UNC. I know it's been a while, but that still happened. Those games still happened. You know? And then the whole, you know, I'm not even going to expand on this, but people on social media, the entire Spurrier versus Muschamp debate. Bro, I swear to God, if you bring that up to me, I will block you at this point. I, I'm going to say this, and it's no offense to all of you listening or if you know somebody like this, but if you try to argue Steve Spurrier versus Will Muschamp, you do not have a functioning brain. Your brain is messed up. Something's wrong with you. If you think that is a conversation we should have, that conversation takes two seconds. Will Muschamp does not belong in the same breath as Steve Spurrier. I don't care what the records say. I do not care. Those two don't belong in the same sentence. So, again, I didn't want to make this a Will Muschamp show, but there's just been a lot, you know, a lot of it over the weekend, a lot of stuff, and it's always a talking point. But again, like I said on social media, I want to make it very, very clear because, again, I think there are people, whether it be on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook, that listen to this show, that critique me, that hate me, that want me dead, that hate my guts, whatever. I want to make something clear to the masses. I don't hate Will Muschamp as a human being. I think he's a great dude. I think he's a likable guy. I think he's a cool guy. Do I think he's a head coach at an SEC school? Should he be? No, I don't. Do I think he's the guy to get South Carolina where they want to go as a program? No, I don't. Could I be wrong? Yeah, I could. Like I said, only time will tell. We'll see what happens on the field. But you can't look at this roster and tell me and justify if this team goes five and seven or four and eight and again, he should have a job. Even six and six, I would be very hesitant to bring him back. Because I'll tell you this, if the goal is to win the SEC championship, if that's what the goal is, which is what it should be, that's what it should be. The goal should win the SEC, at least to win the SEC East. I mean, when you guys close your eyes and think about it for a second, do you really see Will Muschamp 
leading this South Carolina program at some point, at any point, to an SEC East title? You think he's going to outcoach Kirby Smart, Dan Mullen, even Jeremy Pruitt? Is he going to outcoach Nick Saban? Is he going to outcoach Ed Orgeron? Is he going to outcoach even Mike Leach? Lane Kiffin? Gus Malzahn? Jimbo? Even Mark Stoops, who has his number. So that's the way I look at it. And my belief is, once you know a guy isn't the guy to get you to where you're trying to go, you're just killing time at that point. You, you, are, you are wasting time at that point. So, again, I support Will Muschamp. I want him to – I want him – I've said this so many times. I want him to shove it up my ass. I would love nothing more. But every criticism I've had of him is fair. Very, very fair. It's funny. I, I feel like we could just literally have a must-champ debate show every day. Every single day. Because <laughs> people love to debate it. it. It's the hottest topic on the streets in Gamecock country. It really is. And like I said, if you guys have connects or ties with Mike Davis, Hayden Hurst, I'm going to continue to DM them. But I'd love to have them on the show to talk about not just their South Carolina careers, but I'd love to talk about Will Muschamp. You know, and if they want to come on the show and cuss me out because I'm critical of them, that's completely fine too. But I'd love to have them on. I'd love to hear their, their thoughts, their insights, everything. But like I said, at the end of the day, all that other stuff is great. It looks good. Makes you feel good. But he gets paid to win games. You don't do that. Get somebody else that can. It's very simple. Should be a very fun season around that topic for sure. All right, let's get off of that. Let's move into your listener questions, and we have a great conversation with Aaron Fit. Um, let's start with JJ underscore drip underscore two underscore hard. Do you think Parker White will have more range and consistency over the year? I mean, I think he'll, you know, he, he's, he's set up to have his best year at South Carolina. I mean, a senior, he's been in the battles. Like I said, he's in a game-winning kick, 18 for 22 last year. Uh, made 82%, so that's a pretty damn good number. But, yeah, I mean, I think he's definitely poised to have his best year. I, I think you will see more consistency, more range. It will be interesting because has he got – you know, you imagine he's gotten stronger. Um, you know, will he get more attempts from beyond 50? You know, I don't know. It's tough to say. But, uh, no, like I said, I think South Carolina fans and South Carolina should, be, should, should feel very good with their kicking situation, no doubt. Uh, Peyton Muller, 16. Supers in 2021, Omaha in 2022, question mark, the talent is there. (sighs) Listen, I think, and we talk about this with Aaron Fitt on this conversation, I think South Carolina is certainly a postseason team in 2021, no doubt. It's Here's the thing, though, with what you're saying. You know, you're putting hard expectations on the 21 and 22 seasons. And it's just, I think it's just so tough to do that in college baseball. You know what I mean? It's so tough to do that. Um, you know, I think as far – these are my expectations. Let's just say for the 21 season. These are my expectations. Make the postseason. Once South Carolina gets in a regional, who knows? Because I'll be honest with you, even as a fan, like when South Carolina baseball gets in the postseason, I just feel good about it. We've been there and done it so many times. It's like natural territory for us. So – I think if South Carolina makes the postseason, which I fully expect, I mean, I think they could be a team that hosts a regional next year. I really think so. I think they'd have been a postseason team this year. But 
I mean, yeah, I think South Carolina makes the post. I, I think certainly they're, they have as good a shot as anybody to make the Supers. But especially when you start putting hard expectations like on Omaha, like, oh, if you don't make Omaha, it was a bad year. Well, what if you make it to the Supers and lose the third game like they did in Kingston's first year? You can't say that was a bad year. I mean, you're one of the last, what, 16 teams left? You know, that's, that's saying a lot. That, that's a pretty damn good season. So you, you, I think what you more so want to see, you just want to see this program continue to, to make progress towards that goal because we all know the goal is Omaha. We, we get that. The goal is Omaha for South Carolina baseball. It always has been. It always will be. You just want to see them continue. I just want to see them continue to get better and put themselves in positions to get to that point. And if you want to get to Omaha, you got to make the regionals. If you want to get to Omaha, you need to host a regional. So doing stuff like that first, you know, because, again, from there, I mean, listen, you go to a Super Regional and you lose, you lose two out of three and lose in the third game or something. Like, not every season's built equally, and you can't just say – you can't put a blanket statement of, oh, if you don't make it to Omaha, the season was a failure. You, you just can't say that. You know what I mean? You can't say that. Now, if you notice some bad trends and stuff like that, like, that's a whole different story. But, like, you know – I could see South Carolina making the Supers next year, but there's a lot of questions to be answered too. But, again, when you put those hard expectations on baseball, you, you set yourself up for problems. So, um, I think this will be a postseason team, no question, next year. How much beyond that? We'll have to see. It'll depend on matchups. It'll depend on do they host. And if beyond that, it'll depend, do you, do you have to go to a Super? Do you host a Super? Who do you face in the Super? There's a lot that goes into it. We all know that. With baseball, it's a fickle game. So, but I think South Carolina is on the right track for sure. Um, S. Rush seven. Why did the Kai Kroger ranking and hype drop? I don't know why the ranking dropped. I'm I'm still as hype on him on. I'm still as hype on him as ever. Um, you know, I don't know who the the hype would have dropped by, but no, I think Kai Kroger is going to fill in well. I think he's going to be the next good punter for us. Um, I think expecting him to be like Joseph Charlton maybe is a little bit of a stretch because Charlton was so freaking good. But no, I, I fully expect Kai Kroger to come in and be that guy. Um, last question, the real USC show. Do you think Parker White will fully break out and be a top kicker in the draft? Um, you know, he's certainly got that potential. He's certainly got that potential. I mean, listen, the guy's got a boot. I mean, he's got a good leg. I mean, I'm not saying he has a, I don't think he has a plus leg by any means. Don't think he has a plus leg. Um, but he's certainly a guy, I think, you know, 50 and under as good as anybody. I mean. 50 and, and like, like I said, we'll have to see this year. You know, you'd imagine he's gotten stronger. He's gotten better. He's gotten more accurate. You would think he's gotten better and better and better. So, it'll be interesting to see. But like I said, I think South Carolina has set up well as far as their kicking situation. I mean, you know, selfishly, you hope they don't have to kick a ton because that means you're scoring touchdowns and not kicking field goals. But, you know, I, I, I think South Carolina is in a good position with him. Now, is he a draft guy? It's it's just kind of weird with kickers. I think he's probably more of a free agent signing type of guy. I mean, it's tough to say he's a draft guy when a guy like Elliot Fry is having problems keeping a job, and we know how good Elliot Fry was. So, um, I don't really know as far as the NFL draft is concerned or his NFL future, but, again, I think South Carolina is in a really, really good position with Parker White. So, um, all right, appreciate the listener questions, guys. Jumping in this conversation, Aaron Fit at D1Baseball.com. Guys, phenomenal convo. If you're wondering how, for, how current Gamecocks are faring as far as summer ball, we talk about that, especially the guys here in the local area with the Blowfish. I know you guys probably saw the highlights. I was able to go watch guys like Brendan Malone, 
Wes Clark, Brady Allen, Andy Peters. Um, been a blast. We also talk about other guys, talk about Gamecocks baseball as a whole, their future, the future of college baseball. Again, Aaron Fit, phenomenal guest, phenomenal conversation. Those guys at D1Baseball.com do a great job, so be sure to check them out. But enjoy this conversation. It's all brought to you by our friends, again, at SeatGeek. Go download the SeatGeek app or go to SeatGeek.com. Use the promo code SPURSUP. You're going to save $20 off your first purchase. Guys, like I said, sports are coming back. And before you know it, fans will be in the seats. Also, concerts, comedy club events. The world's going to get back to normal. The world is going to get back to normal at some point. Fans are going to be back. We're going to be back at, a, at events, whether it be, like I said, sporting events, concerts, whatever. Fans are going to be back, and when you need your tickets, SeatGeek is the way to go. Again, the great ticket range system there. Rates of tickets for you based on the type of deal you're getting. Basically, they do all the work for you. They're changing the game when it comes to ticket buying. Again, listen, never again. You're not going to scalp anymore. It's all going to go through your smartphone, going to go through an app, going to go through a website. SeatGeek's the way to go. Again, go download the SeatGeek app, or you can go to SeatGeek.com. Use the promo code SPURSUP. That's S-P-R-S-U-P to save $20 off your first purchase. Enjoy this conversation with Aaron Fit of D1Baseball.com. All right, very excited, guys. Joining us today on the Spurs Up show, he's of D1Baseball.com. These guys do a fantastic job. You know, we have talked with them before, talked with Kendall Rogers. Now we have Aaron Fit on the show, again, of D1Baseball.com. They do a fantastic job breaking down D1 Baseball, including the South Carolina Gamecocks. Aaron, I appreciate you taking the time. So happy we can get you on and very, very excited to talk some college baseball. Yeah, great to be with you talking about some baseball, you know, for a change. It's a, it's a nice uh, nice change of pace in this, these crazy times, isn't it? Yeah, talk, it's nice that the change of pace talking about some actual on-field headlines versus all the hypotheticals and we don't know what's going to happen, stuff like that. But things that have actually been going on on the field. But I do want to start with um, just kind of checking in with you, you guys. Again, I think most of my listeners are pretty familiar with D1Baseball.com. I know we highlight a lot of the stuff you guys bring up because, again, you guys do a fantastic job just with the, the in-depth coverage and just a lot of things. Because, you know, college baseball is still one of those sports where – um, you know, I was lucky enough this year, last August, I moved to Columbia. But if you're not in the Columbia area, you're not getting out there to the inner squads, to the scrimmages. Um, so you kind of – there are a lot of unknowns for baseball, if you will, kind of going into seasons. And you guys do a fantastic job, I think, breaking everything down and giving fans sort of an inside look and an idea what the starting nine, what the pitching rotation might be like on opening day. But, you know, I'll just ask you bluntly. I mean, just let everybody know, what was this season like for you guys? I know you guys did the best you could as far as – you know, breaking down prospects, and we all look forward to the MLB draft, but even with the draft being shortened to five rounds and, you know, just with all the chaos, what was the uh, the life of Aaron Fitt and Kendall Rogers like with D1Baseball.com? Yeah, it was a weird, weird spring, you know, and certainly a, a sad spring, you know. I mean, just to see what was going on in the whole world, but certainly in our world, um, not having baseball, you know, after mid-March was jarring. Um, but uh, we made the best of it, you know, and our subscribers, boy, they really stuck with us and, um, you know, can't express enough gratitude for, for our readers. They're, they're very loyal to us. It's a tight knit community in college baseball. Um, and, and we tried to, you know, still come up with, with things to write about. And like you mentioned, we had the draft, uh, even though it was short, um, we had a lot of different legislation things we could follow. Was there going to be eligibility relief or roster relief or, um, you know, how, how long was the draft going to be? When was it going to be, um, all that kind of stuff we could follow. And, uh, we tried to do some, some, 
you know, fun things too. Like we, we each drafted our own kind of dream team out of the college players out there. And uh, like, like for a hypothetical summer league, we were building a summer league roster. Here's the guys mm-hmm. we would have, we would have picked. So that kind of stuff. Uh, but uh, uh, just glad to have some, some summer ball back now. And, you know, mm-hmm. being able to actually go up to the ballpark once in a while has been really refreshing and uh, I sure have my fingers crossed for fall ball. That's the next step. Mm-hmm. For sure. Aaron, before we dive into all the summer ball stuff, because again, there's a ton to get to, I do want to ask you about uh, the MLB draft in South Carolina, because I think they came out of it fairly well. And I think you would agree. Obviously, Carmen Majinski, first round pick, we sort of all knew that was coming. He was going to be a highly regarded prospect. But outside of that, Noah Campbell signs, Graham Lawson signs. Outside of that, those are really the most notable names. You had Anthony McCangelo. He also transferred as well. But I want to get your take on it. Again, we all knew that there would be a domino effect as far as prospects that, you know, Brandon Fields is the one that jumps out in my mind. Prospects that may have gone to the draft in previous years and because of the way it was set up are now going to be on campus. And, of course, South Carolina is not the only school to benefit from that. But what's your overall take on how South Carolina fared with the MLB draft? And, you know, going into next season, again, we're going to talk about a few of these guys in summer ball that are going to have a big impact on that team. But – what were your takeaways just from the draft and I guess how South Carolina came out of it? Yeah, I think you nailed it. I mean, they did, they really got kind of lucky, you know, with the way the draft played out, mm. um, getting a lot of players back who in, in a normal year, I think definitely would have signed. You know, yeah, I, I, not to cut you, I think Farr and Jordan, honestly, I, at least yeah. Farr, I think would have been gone in a normal year for sure. Yeah, I think. exactly right. I mean, those are two yeah. big time, you know, power arms out of the JUCO ranks that I think if you'd gotten into uh, into SEC play, you know, mm-hmm. all the scouts would have really gotten a chance to see just yeah. how good those guys are. I mean, and I saw um, Jordan a couple of times in the fall, and and it was it was pretty electric, man. Mm-hmm. I mean, that guy I think could have played his way into the top five rounds if there had been a longer season. He just you know, didn't have as long of a track record at the D1 level, um, but he would have built that over the course of the season. And so a guy like that, uh, certainly, and, and far as well. I mean, you know, I didn't get to see him, but heard the reports, and certainly mm-hmm. it's, it's, a, it's a great arm, um, you know. Uh, I don't know what happened with Andrew Peters. I know heading into the season, that was supposed to be another one of those really big Juco arms they were pretty excited about. Um, looked like he struggled in, in the limited action he mm-hmm. had in the spring, but I mean, that's another guy that maybe if he was healthy, could have figured it out and gotten himself up there. So yeah, I mean, those kind of guys, typically you lose. There's no question about it. Um, you know, I think Brett Thomas probably would have wound up coming back anyway, but you never know. I mean, mm-hmm. with his, with his pitch ability, someone might've might have taken a stab at him and, uh, and, and certainly the older guys, you know, the Dallas Beavers of the world, um, you know, those guys typically just go ahead and, and go out and play. You know, you, you don't right. usually get those guys back for yet another year. So it's a nice veteran piece coming back as well. Yeah, I thought even a guy like Andrew Eister could have made the jump if he got a yeah. full SEC season. But I definitely think far. Yeah, I mean, with his, you know, finally getting moved in the starting rotation, I thought he threw really well against Clemson. I mean, anytime you're hitting 95 on the gun with the type of stuff he had, you're – you're going to get a pretty solid look. So I, I definitely think South Carolina got really lucky to get two of their three back with the weekend rotation. But let's jump into the summer ball stuff because, again, one of the guys or a couple of the guys that are going to contribute to this South Carolina team next season um, having big summers. And we'll start locally, Aaron, because we were just talking off the air. You know, I was lucky enough, fortunate enough to finally – my first live sporting event since March. What do you know? It's a baseball game. Go out and watch the boys. Brennan Malone, Brett Carey, Andy Peters, who you mentioned – Brady Allen, Wes Clark, a ton of guys on this Blowfish team here in Lexington. Um, But I want to start with Brennan Malone. Brennan Malone and Brett Carey, both named Players of the Week um, from the Coastal Plain League. Brennan Malone, his last week, 444 average, uh, two doubles, had a triple, two homers, nine RBIs. I was able to see the homer and the triple on Saturday afternoon. And this is a kid, me, Aaron, I I was raving about, raving about coming into – 
um, the season. Just to give you, I'm sure you already have these stats pulled up, but his summer, for those that don't know, he's hitting 377 with six home runs, 19 RBIs. A kid I was raving about, Aaron, just has stupid pop. I mean, the first, you know, the first time it really jumped out at me, the Garnet and Black World Series game, he hit three home runs in a single game. And his fourth at bat, he flew out to the warning track. Um, a guy that obviously in some of the later scrimmages in the spring suffered an injury and was kind of coming back from that. And it was so unfortunate that it got taken away in the, due to the pandemic, obviously, just because um, that Tennessee series was really going to be, you know, his first full series back. The Citadel game, he hit a home run. So you thought maybe, you know, he's fully healthy. He's figuring it out. But give me your thoughts on Brennan, Brennan Malone because I feel like all the reviews are high and for good reason because he is a guy that – you just look at it at the plate. The, the mechanics are very natural. He just looks like a natural hitter to me, and he has yeah. stupid pop to go along with it. Yeah, you nailed it. it it's a natural-born hitter. You know, I mean, one of those guys, you, you watch him take a couple of cuts in batting practice even, and you're like, this guy's hitterish. You know, that's kind of the first word that comes to mind. Mm-hmm. He just has really good instincts uh, for, for putting the barrel on the, on the ball and, um, and, and the power. I mean, it's just so loose, you know, the hand speed is obvious. I saw him hit a home run to the opposite field uh, a week or two ago um, that was just tattooed, you know, and uh, to see a, a kid that age with that kind of opposite field strength, uh, it, it jumps out to you. But, uh, you know, I was talking about Mark, talking with Mark Kingston about him uh, a week or two back. And he said, you know, this guy's so good. I mean, this could, could have frankly been the difference between us being 12 and four or, or 15 and one, if he hadn't missed a few games, you know, or, or like really the bulk of the spring season, if he had been healthy, I mean, that's how good this guy is. They were really counting on him to be, uh, a centerpiece of that lineup, even as a true freshman. So there's no question for me, this guy's going to be a star, a big star. Um, I think he could be an All-American player and, and, and a first-round pick by the time he's done in South Carolina. Wow, yeah, I was going to ask you what you thought the ceiling was for him. First rounder, that is big time. I, I agree with you, though. I think he could be the next, you know, South Carolina is known for its power. That's kind of its brand. I think he could be that next great power hitter to come through Columbia for sure, especially – the park he plays in. I mean, Founders Park is a friendly place if you're a hitter, for sure. Um, I want to talk about the other guy that was named Player of the Week, and that is Brett Carey. He had a shutout, five innings pitched. Um, obviously, shut out three or seven strikeouts um, against Savannah. And looking at his stats for the season, really quickly for the summer, if you will, eleven and two thirds innings pitch. He's got a three eight six ERA. He's one and zero. Oh. But Brett Carey, a guy obviously that started out in the weekend rotation for South Carolina Aaron got bumped out of it I know a lot of fans had their questions why would you move Kerry they move him back to the bullpen though which I think was a really good role and I thought South Carolina fans were going to see that pay off again with how Thomas Farr was throwing the baseball the stuff was undeniable and Kerry found a really nice role there the previous season as the closer a guy who's just purely a strike thrower just talk about again what you've seen from Brett Kerry over the summer and what you like about his game overall yeah, you nailed the biggest thing. You know, he's a strike thrower, a guy that really competes. And, um, you know, even though it's not an overpowering fastball velocity, he spots up well. You know, if you can if you can throw 88 to 92 and put it where you want um, and change planes with, you know, your, your breaking ball, which, as we all know, is a really good pitch for him. He's, he's got that kind of uh, slurve, I guess you'd call it, 77 mm-hmm. to 80. I think he calls it a slider, but uh, he'll mix in an occasional slower curveball too. But uh, mm-hmm. that pitch is, is, a, is a swing and miss pitch for him, you know, and he really knows how to, to, to manipulate that pitch. He can throw it for a strike. He can throw it for a chase. Um, he's got a little cutter now that I know he's worked on. I, I think you probably saw that in the spring. Mm-hmm. He had it then as well. But, um, you know, that, that's a pitch that I think is getting better and better. And I know Skylar Mead is excited about um, that pitch as a potential real weapon for him, you know, this time 
uh, next year. I mean, I think uh, that pitch is coming on strong and he's, he's working on the change up. I mean, the, the one that I saw in the summer, he didn't use it much, um, but, but it's there, you know, and, and, and I think that'll that continue to get better as well. Cause he's got, you know, natural feel to pitch. Um, and so I think the, the more he does it, the more reps he gets, the more he's going to fine tune that repertoire and, um, he's just a really, you know, top of the charts makeup guy. You hear scouts talk about that a lot, and that's that matters. And he, this guy competes his tail off. Mm-hmm. I think that's why he was so successful in that that relief role. But also, certainly, you can stretch him out as a starter. He's proven he can do that as well. So that versatility is so valuable. The ability uh, to go out in a, in a pressure situation in the ninth inning with big men on base and, and get a big swing and miss, or or you know, to go through a lineup a few times as a starter and eat up some innings. I mean, that's just a really nice luxury for South Carolina to have a guy that can do either one of those things. Now, Aaron, I know we have a long way to go, obviously. We both know a lot can happen over fall ball, spring ball, you know, new guys come in, whatever. But South Carolina will be looking for that third starter. And, you know, for what it's worth, I mean, the bullpen was a little bit shaky to start the year for the Gamecocks. I know I, for one, was surprised about that. I thought, you know, Cam Tringali, Graham Lawson, and Danny Lloyd had the chance to be a really good 7, 8, 9 inning, but for whatever reason, those guys were having trouble finding the zone. But I want to ask you about Kerry. I mean, do you project him? Because the Gamecocks will be looking for a third starter yet again, which was a storyline coming in the season this past season. But do you project him as a starter or more of a relief guy? What do you think is the better fit for him? Um, I think in pro ball, he's he's probably a bullpen guy just because, mm-hmm. you know, you need the velocity to play up a little bit more. And you'd hope right. that in a shorter stint, you'd see the velocity climb. Uh, in college, I mean, honestly, I think he could succeed – in either role. He has succeeded in both roles. Uh, so it just depends where they need him most, but yeah, I mean, I know they like him best in, in the bullpen. I think that's where they think he's, he's, uh, he's the most effective. And so I think if you have a, a third starter emerge, ideally you'd stick him back there as a kind of that security blanket. And that's such an important role in college baseball too. You know, the ability to shorten games and, and, um, you know, give those young players some peace of mind, knowing the game's going to be well in hand, you know, in the late innings and, and the ability to impact more than one game in a weekend. You know, if you can pitch mm-hmm. two innings on a Friday night, three innings on a Friday night, come back, you know, pitch an inning on Saturday or Sunday. I mean, it's just a, it's a nice weapon to have uh, at your disposal. For sure. So let's talk, let's move on air and talk about another big power bat for the Gamecocks. It's with the blowfish and that is first baseman, Wes Clark, Wes Clark hitting 378 right now, two homers, 12 RBIs, man, this is another guy. And again, you could speak for everybody on this, but it's just so unfortunate that we didn't get to see his season play out in conference play because people forget it. Wes Clark was either tied or leading the sec in home runs. When we got the baseball taken away at eight bombs, I believe it was, when baseball was taken away from us, Wes, a big-time power bat in the middle of this Gamecocks lineup. Just talk about what you've seen from him. I, you know, I think, again, defensively, there's a little bit left to be desired, but he's a guy, again, at the plate that no doubt you can't deny yeah. the type of pop he has. Yeah, and he's getting better on defense, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I don't think he's really a catcher, but he can fill in there. Uh, but at first base, I mean, I, I've seen – real improvement you know in his his mobility and his kind of instincts at that position and uh, I think he's worked hard at it and he's gotten better there but uh the, the bat is the calling card there's yeah. no question about it I mean it's big power you know I mean he looks the part you first see him <laughs> he's a big strong man yeah. um and you know and, and he's really shown so much improvement with his approach over the last year and a half or so I mean since um since two years ago, I think he really struggled to, to make more consistent contact. And he's just done a really good job getting more selective and finding a pitch he can drive and then, and then doing some damage. And it's just kind of how you draw it up, power hitting first baseman who can, you know, sit there in your cleanup spot if you want and just, you know, 
let him go. And I think he's going to have a really big year next year. Like you said, he was off to a great, great start this spring and continuing to perform well this summer. I mean, I saw him. Um, one thing that, that was encouraging too is, you know, the ability to, to drive the ball the other way. He wasn't mm-hmm. just a straight pole hitter. Um, I saw him make hard kind of line drive contact all fields, which is certainly a, an encouraging sign about his development also. For sure. I, I want to talk about another guy, obviously, another, another hitter with the blowfish, um, Aaron, and a guy that, you know, I, I don't play favorites, but definitely a guy I love watching play. I love his game. I feel like he's a dirtbag, and that is Brady Allen. His stats right now hitting 348, a homer, 13 RBIs. One of my biggest critiques of Brady, though, during the season is I felt like, again, there are some guys that are power hitters. There are some guys that are gap-to-gap. There are some guys that are small ball guys, and you can sort of have to know yourself and embrace who you are. And I thought – you know, I thought at times Brady didn't play to his strengths sometimes. You know, he's a guy with some speed, a guy, again, that I think is better working gap-to-gap versus getting too big and trying to keep up with the power numbers of like a Malone, a Clark, even an Icer. Just talk about what you've seen from him. Is there any merit to to my theory there in this sense? Like I said, I, I think he's a good hitter. I think he has the tools, but he's just got to stay within yeah. himself. No, I think you're spot on. Again, I mean, this is a guy that I think is more of a, a hitter-first you know, with some power mm-hmm. rather than a power hitter first, you know, right. this, that the, the hit for average tools, which you're banking on here. And I really like the approach, man. I mean, he's, he works counts, uh, very good plate discipline. Um, I think he did that in the spring as well. I think he, he walked uh, well more than he struck out, but uh, he's just on base machine, you know, in, in the games that I saw this summer, um, just not going to get himself out, you know, and, I think uh, one of those guys I could see him hitting like in a two hole and just kind of mm-hmm. setting the table for some, some bigger bats behind him. But you know, certainly he can run the ball out of the park. I mean, it, there is some strength in there. I mean, he's uh, he's got some, some obvious um, um, bat speed and, and, you know, it's kind of a compact frame, but it's, it's also a pretty compact stroke. You know, he can whip it through the zone pretty good, but um, you're right. I mean, gap to gap, that's where he, sh- he should make his living. And, um, I like him defensively too. And right field, he mm-hmm. showed me a, uh, I, I might call it a plus arm, you know, certainly mm-hmm. better than average out there in right field and, and, and with some accuracy too. So he's just a really nice player all around, I think. Aaron, let's go back to the bump and a guy you mentioned sort of at the beginning of the show, Andy Peters is with the Blowfish as well. He's had just one appearance, uh, I mean, through well, one inning, three strikeouts. Um, but like you said, there was a lot of inconsistency with him, and I think a lot of it had to do was with he was returning back from the injury, and people have to understand that it's it's one of those things, kind of like we saw from Graham Law, since you're going to have one good outing, one bad outing. I remember specifically the game he started, I think maybe it was against North Florida. I forget who exactly it was, but it was crazy because he went out there, looked as good as I'd seen him look all fall, all spring. Second inning comes out there, a completely different guy. Couldn't throw a strike. Um Someone that I've heard you guys talk about on D1Baseball.com, and I've seen a couple of different times, he can run up, up there velo-wise when he is healthy. The stuff is nasty, um, has some pitchability. Just just talk about how you project Andy Peters um, and what type of player you think he could be in the Gamecock pitching rotation. Uh, he's definitely an X factor, I think, heading into next year. and He's a guy that I haven't seen in person because he wasn't healthy when mm-hmm. I was down there in, in the um, – in the fall. And of course he got limited action this spring and, and, and so far this summer, but so I still haven't had a chance to see him for myself, but certainly the reports um, are what you're saying here. It's a big arm. You know, I think I've heard he, he's been up to 98, maybe 99 in the past wow. at, at times that maybe in Juco ball, um, you know, so it's, it's in there, you know, we know it's in there. It's just mm-hmm. a matter of um, getting that, that command piece back. And that's something that typically coming back from, you know, surgery, it, it can take some guys longer than others. Um, there's, there's no, 
you know, set timetable for, for getting that kind of pitchability back after surgery. So I suspect that with another year, you know, as we head into the fall and spring, I, I think he could definitely make a jump. And I see him as, as a potential back end piece, a guy that can just come in and light up the radar gun. For sure. Well, Aaron, I'm going to give you the floor because I know there's a lot of other with the league, with the leagues, um, you know, some canceling, some playing. I know, for example, for a guy like Jeff Heinrich is playing in his league. I'm not sure a bunch of the others. Just talk about it again because I know you guys keep a pulse on all of it. Just talk about the other Gamecocks that you've been able to keep, keep up with, if you've been able to see any. And I'll ask you as well, um, who do you think – because the, the summer, for people that don't understand, the summer is a very pivotal time for these guys. I mean, this is where you're refining your craft. You're going up against some of the best talent from these other colleges – um, if you've seen any other guys, just give your feedback. But who do you think this summer on the Gamecocks roster, is there one dude that you think needs to make a big jump over the summer and fall that will be a key piece for this South Carolina team next year? Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a name that I saw uh, also for that Weston County team that probably South Carolina fans haven't really seen yet because mm. he's an incoming freshman. Um, named Will Sanders. And mm. he wasn't really on my radar, to be honest with you, heading into the summer. Um, and you know, he's, he comes in, I think in, in a, a bullpen outing, six foot six kind of bean pole looking guy, you, you watch the, the delivery and warm ups, you know, this arm looks like it works, you know, he got some whip to him and comes out 1991, um, with three pitches for strikes, you know, mm-hmm. I thought really good downer curveball. He's got feel for a change up with uh serious kind of late sink to it. So I think that can be an out pitch for him. And, um, you know, a guy that had surprisingly advanced feel for pitching for his age, I think he's got huge upside, you know, as he fills out that big six foot six frame. Um, I think he could be a real difference maker. And again, talking with, with Skyler and Kingston, I think they feel the same way. I think they, they feel like maybe they hit the jackpot with this guy. So uh, keep an eye on, on Will Sanders. I think that's one that uh, you're going to be hearing a lot about as we go forward. And uh, I did see another Gamecock this summer. Um, another incoming guy named mm. David Mendham, mm. um, first baseman, kind of very physical looking guy, left-handed hitter. Um, didn't do a lot when I was there, but I, I, I did like, um, played some third base also. He looked like he could defend ably at either corner spot. Um, again, I like the frame and, and, you know, the swing looks like it works. So he had a great, great spring uh, at Connor state really mm. put up enormous number. They hit 593, you know, in, in 21 games. Mm. So uh, that could be an, an, an impact addition out of the Juco ranks. For sure. Switching gears with a little bit, Aaron, let's talk about the game of college baseball as a whole. Cause I know there was a lot of conversation um, when this pandemic first started happening, a lot of different coaches speaking out on how they might change the game of baseball and just change the, the setup overall. And, you know, every day this thing is changing. You know, MLB, thank goodness, as we're recording this, tomorrow is opening day, quote-unquote. Thank goodness Major League Baseball is coming back. They're finding a way to do it. But do you think there will be, or if there is, like what will be the long-term lasting effects from this? Do you, do you see major changes coming to college baseball because of this? I think there's a real chance, you know, and especially if football and basketball get pushed back into the spring, mm-hmm. which it sounds like, there's more and more chance that could wind up happening. And Mm. I think if that happens, I I could definitely see an easy, um, you know, an easy excuse to kind of push baseball back later as well. So that there's less overlap and there's less strain maybe on the athletic departments uh, from a logistics standpoint. So um, considering there's a lot of momentum to push the season back anyway, um, this might be exactly uh, the circumstances we needed to kind of really, 
get that thing to actually happen. Um, now, you know, I know there's challenges to playing college baseball in the summer, um, but one, one thing to keep in mind is that most teams still wouldn't play that deep into the summer. It's just the teams that are in the postseason, make deep postseason runs. Those would be the ones that would play into July um, under this, this new model. But uh, I just think, you know, baseball is, is a summer sport. Mm. Um, and we started in the middle of February. Now that's <laughs> winter time. That's winter time. It's winter time in, in the North. It's winter time in the South. I mean, yeah. I've had series snowed out in Chapel Hill in, um, in February, you know, so, you know, certainly Columbia, you guys know, you've had some cold yeah. weekends in February. Yeah. Um, it's not, it's not fun. And so I think it's bad for arms to start that early. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you see more, you do see more injuries. We've had a piece about that on our site a week or two ago. Kendall talked to uh, an expert from Dr. Andrews's center. They did a big study and, and it showed that, you know, you get those arms going in cold weather, it is more likely to lead to injuries. And so mm-hmm. um, from an arm care standpoint, player, you know, player athlete uh, welfare, um, pushing the season back makes sense. I think also it gives you a chance to, you know, make more revenue. I mean, people do like to go to baseball games during baseball weather. And I know it's mm-hmm. hot in the summertime in the South, but I mean, there, there's lots of teams that play baseball in the South and draw, you know, whether mm-hmm. it's um, in, in the state of Texas or Florida or wherever. I mean, you still have baseball in July. Um, you just try to play more night games and you'll be okay. So <laughs> I, I think, uh, I think it makes a lot of sense in a lot of different ways. And, and it's really the, the best path we have to make baseball, um, financially viable, which is another obvious concern now in this, this kind of COVID-19 era is, uh, we don't want to have a bunch of programs cut. So how can we make college baseball, um, support itself a little better on a national level? And I think that if, if we played baseball later in the year, you know, some of those Northern teams like the big 10, I mean, those are powerful brand name programs mm-hmm. uh, that haven't ever been able to really maximize their potential um, from a revenue standpoint, because we play in the wintertime. And mm-hmm. so, uh, but, it, but people go to baseball games in the North, you know, and when it's baseball weather, I mean, the Madison Mallards average five or 6,000 fans a game. Um, why can't university of Wisconsin have a baseball team and do better than that? That's mm-hmm. a bigger brand name than the Madison Mallards, you know? So I just think that there's a lot of upside for the sport on a national level um, if we can, in fact, play the game when it's supposed to be played. Yeah, I agree with you. I was going to say, I forget, I think it was the second, uh, probably look, I don't know, it was the second, uh, it was, I think it was Northwestern, that Friday night, that series in Columbia, that Friday night game, I think it was like a high of 32 just unbelievably mm. miserable, miserable mm. is the only way you can. Really? And, and South Carolina lost that game and it was an extra inning game. So it's just all the bad things that could happen. It's like, man, I, I would have rather sat inside and watched this one. But uh, I, I want to ask you, this is kind of, this is kind of random if you will, but since we're just talking the overall landscape of college baseball, obviously this is a Gamecock show, but I, I want to get your take on baseball in the Palmetto state as a whole, because you guys put out projections. I'm going to bring this conversation back to, South Carolina specifically in the SEC in just a second. But you guys put out, you know, you're way too early, you know, eight for Omaha and you're way too early top 25 and stuff like that. And, you know, the last two, three, four years, both South Carolina and Clemson have been missing from the top 25. And, again, to much satisfaction to both of the rival programs that their rivals not in the top 25. But, I mean, I remember and I know you remember and I know Kendall remembers a time where both of those programs were top 10, it seemed like, every single year. And those were – I mean, those were legendary matchups. Not that it's still not. I still think it's one of, if not the best rivalry in all college baseball. But is there anything that you can put your finger on that, and again, people underestimate how hard it is to 
sustain that level of success. Like what Ray Tanner did should be appreciated. You have to understand the program, that long lasting program that he built, that should really be appreciated. But is there one thing that you can put your finger on that those two programs as a whole are missing for the reason, the lack of success? I mean, again, not being, neither one of those teams being ranked in the top 25. It's just, you know, it's a rarity that you see that. Yeah. And, and, you're right. I mean, it's, there's no question if you think back a decade ago, you know, mm-hmm. these two teams met in Omaha in the final four, you know, yep. mm-hmm. um, and since then Clemson hasn't, I don't think Clemson's won a regional since. They haven't made a super. No, that's, that's a stat we love to bring up. <laughs> I'm sure you do. Um, so there's no question that program has, you know, declined. I mean, they've still mm-hmm. hosted regionals. I think they hosted yep. three years in a row and failed to win one, which yep. um, that's boy. I mean, if, if you're hosting a regional, mm-hmm. you know, that means over the course of a long season, you're one of the 16 best teams. You've had a great year. Yeah. But you have to, you know, you have to win your, your home regional when you get that chance. And yeah. at least, you know, more often than you lose it. And three years in a row, and that's just disappointing. But it's kind of the nature of a little bit of, of postseason baseball. And that's one reason you look back at those, um, those early 2010s Gamecock teams and, and recognize how special they were. Because <clears throat> right. they just had that that DNA, man. I mean, when the, when the chips were, were all in there and the, and the, uh, the stakes were the highest, they just always elevated their game. That's just so rare, you know, mm-hmm. to have that kind of, uh, that kind of makeup and, and certainly you got to catch some breaks too. I mean, that's part of it in the postseason. but, um, to answer your, 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 your question on kind of a, a more macro level, I, I do think it's just really hard to sustain that kind of success year in and year out. I mean, you think back at, uh, you know, Virginia, they, they were in the finals back-to-back years, not that long ago, 2014, mm-hmm. 2015. They hadn't been to the NCAA tournament since then. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, all of a sudden they just, oh, you, you hit a roadblock and, right. and you, you kind of take a step back. TCU was in Omaha four years in a row and then they struggled and mm-hmm. missed the postseason. And North Carolina was in Omaha, what, seven times in 11 years or something mm-hmm. like that. And, and then they missed back-to-back years. Um, you know, so there's, there's lots of examples of this kind of stuff. It's why you look at what coach Tanner did there. Certainly, um, the consistency, all those 41 seasons year after year, mm. you look at what Mike Martin did at Florida state 40 years in a row, <laughs> 40 plus wins. That's crazy. 40 regionals in a row. I mean, that's insanity. It's insanity. And I know he never won the big one. And so people like to knock him for that, but uh, I just think that that kind of consistency is so hard to accomplish. And so, you know, you got to tip your cap to, to the programs that can do it. And right now, you know, everybody has ups and downs, except for it feels like Vanderbilt and Florida. Those two are, are kind of rolling. But even hmm. Florida, I mean, they barely got into a regional yeah. in 2019. I mean, they were, what, 13 and 17 in the league, hmm. something like that. I mean, they had to they had to get kind of hot at the, at the very end and swept their last weekend in order just to get into a regional. <laughs> um, so even those guys, I mean – you know, you're going to have ups and downs. Now, right. I'm surprised that Clemson and South Carolina, their downs, if you will, have, have been as sustained as they have been, I suppose, right. um, just relative to where they were a decade ago. But I think they'll get back. I mean, I, I really do believe both those programs have the right people in place. I've been saying for years, I do think Monty Lee um, is going to be a superstar coach. You know, it's, it's only a matter of time. And I feel the same way about Mark Kingston. I mean, I felt that way when, when Kingston was at Tulane and he was at USF and he's at Illinois State. I always thought this is a guy who, who, who gets it. He's got the X factor. Um, it's just a matter of being patient. You know, like mm-hmm. Georgia was patient with Scott Strickland. First five or six years, they couldn't even get to regional. Now they're rolling and they got mm-hmm. the talent flowing in. They're going to be in Omaha maybe next year with all the arms they got coming back. They certainly would have been, I think, this year. I love their team. Mm-hmm. 
a rambling answer, long, long <laughs> answer short. I just think that it's hard. <laughs> it's a hard sport. It's more competitive than ever, especially the SEC. Um, it's so deep. Everybody cares. Everybody puts resources into it. So many good coaches now. The profession pays so well that you're getting really good coaches that do this for a living instead of going to pro ball and working as an instructor in the minor leagues or something. Mm-hmm. They're, um, they're working in college. And so that just makes it hard to dominate maybe the way that you once could. Yeah, Aaron, I'm glad you touched on one thing because I know the, the patience or lack thereof at South Carolina really sticks out. I mean, listen, I'll, I'll be honest, it's hard to be patient because – you know, Gamecock baseball fans are very, very proud. You know, at a school where, you know, you have national titles in women's basketball, yes. But of the big three men's sports, baseball, basketball, and football, baseball is the gym. It is, it is the golden gym. It is our prized possession. And, it, and it's hard to be patient because of the height South Carolina once reached and you just sort of fall into a comfort level. Of, this is the new norm. This is normal for us now. We should be in Omaha. We should be winning national championships. But can you just briefly explain to people – um, I think you need even more patience in baseball than you do football because, again, you know, not, not moving the conversation to football, but I've been someone that I think South Carolina could use a changing of the guard when it comes to head coach in football and he's going into his fifth season. And people have come at my throat about that saying, oh, you need to give a head football coach four, five, six years to build his program. It's the same, if not more, in baseball because the recruiting, people don't understand the recruiting starts when these kids now are like in – what, seventh, eighth grade, the latest, they're, they're freshmen in high school when the recruiting starts. Just briefly expand on that so people can understand just the, the patient aspect of a new coach like a Mark Kingston. You're right. I mean, the, the recruiting part does start so early. And on top of that, you don't really know who's going to develop even better than you thought they would and become a first round pick or something out of high school. You know, So you can lose some of your key recruits to the draft before they even show up on campus. Uh, that's a dynamic that football and basketball don't have to deal with. Um, and, and so, you know, it's, it's just a very difficult thing to try to identify a player when he's 14 years old, mm. who's going to develop in a way that will help your program, but not develop so much that he won't ever show up on campus. Um, but, but I do think that does lead to longer rebuild times. I mean, you can go out and get some Juco bandits and, mm. um, and try to have a quick fix, but eventually the, the bottom line is you've got to build a solid foundation um, with, with, with high school players. And it's just going to take you probably three or four years to really get that pipeline flowing. And I think we are seeing that with South Carolina. I thought their class this year was really strong. And certainly part of that was because they had some great, you know, impact transfers as well. But I uh, like the, the, the young, you know, freshman piece as well. And um, I, I think that they're, they're kind of cruising along recruiting now. And, and I suspect, I think they're going to be good next year. I mean, I, you know, I actually thought they were going to, to make a run this year. I know people mm. were disappointed they lost that Northwestern series, uh, but uh, they were 12 and four, you know, they, they weren't completely healthy. I think like we talked about when Malone came back yeah. and other pieces fell on the pace, I think they would have still been a regional team this year. Um, I really, really like their, their talent and certainly with what they have come back next year. I think they'll be a, a team that could potentially host a regional. You know, I, I think they have that kind of ability. And, and once that happens, that can kind of be used as a right. springboard, you know. Yeah, and that's, you know, going into this season, obviously we talked to you guys from D1Baseball.com about the projections for the season. And I, we sort of agreed. I was right there with you. I thought this was going to be a 34-35, maybe 36-win team, you know, right at fighting for 500 in the SEC with – how good the SEC is, is very good. I mean, that's a very good record in that conference. But before I get you out of here, Aaron, I just do want to get your feedback. And not really asking for your predictions for next season, although you feel like this will be a good Gamecocks baseball team. But like I mentioned before, you, you guys release your way too early top eight for Omaha, your top 25. 
there's a lot of SEC teams in there. You already mentioned Florida. You already mentioned Vanderbilt, Georgia. You talk about all that those teams from the West. I mean, you, you could just go top to bottom every SEC team at this point, maybe outside of Kentucky and Missouri maybe, which is surprising to me because Kentucky, I thought, had it rolling a few years ago. But, yeah. you know, really 12 of the 14 schools have got it figured out. They are solid baseball clubs. You can lose any series any weekend, even to Kentucky and Missouri. But just overall – where do you see this Gamecocks baseball program fitting in when it comes to the SEC in, in regards to next year? Because like you said, I, I'm, I'm probably going to be going in with similar expectations and predictions for next season as far as a, you know, being a 36-win club, 15 and 15, 16 and 14 in SEC play. Where do you see them fitting in and what is the best conference in college baseball by far? Well, I think you've got a clear one-two at the top with Florida and Vanderbilt. Mm -hmm. I mean, those are just loaded teams that are probably going to be the top two teams in the top 25 in the preseason mm -hmm. in, in some order. You know, take your pick. Um, and, and then I think, you know, there's kind of a group of teams. I think LSU with some of the pitching it's got coming back. Um, certainly Ole Miss has some, some exciting young position player talent and some good arms. Mm. I mean, those teams feel like maybe that's the next tier. And, and I could see South Carolina potentially fitting into that tier or just behind it, you know, mm. with, with, with the teams like Arkansas, Auburn, uh, you know, A&M, the kind of usual suspects in that league. Um, Tennessee's a little bit of a wild card. I mean, they got off to a really good start this spring. They, you have to imagine we we pretty good again next year, but um, you're right about how competitive it is, you know, and, and, what was it just a couple of years ago? Kentucky was in a super regional. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I saw Missouri in the fall and I thought, wow, these guys are, are pretty loaded on the mound. They could be, they could be dangerous. And, mm -hmm. you know, they lost, of course, Ian Bedell, their ace to the draft, but um, we'll see. I mean, they're, they're kind of interesting with some of the young talent on their roster. So that's, that's not a, a pushover. And certainly Georgia talk about loaded with arms. Yeah. Wow. I mean, even, even without Emerson Hancock and Cole Wilcox, I love their young power arms, but, uh, but they need to, to do some ma right. maturing. I think South Carolina, one thing I really like about them is that they're going to be older. You know, mm -hmm. I, I think that uh, team that now has some experience and some talent. So I just think they're poised to, to be, I, I'll be shocked if they're not a regional team next year. You can yeah. put that on the board. I was going to say that's the biggest difference when you were talking about, you know, from a decade ago to now, Aaron, it, it's just crazy. You know, because I remember the days where, man, it felt like, you know, Georgia, that's easy win, two out of three or a sweep. Tennessee, easy two out of three win or, or a sweep. And, I mean, now it's just every everybody's good. I mean, everybody is realistically good. I feel like almost every team in the SEC can go to another conference and compete to win that conference. That's how good everybody is. Yeah, I, it's and you're crazy. right. It's crazy. You're right. And, and I think, you know, certainly the SEC has, has blown by, you know, the Pac-12, which has more – Mm -hmm. championships historically uh but the depth of that league doesn't come anywhere close and you know I, i'm not going to say that you stick alabama in the pac-12 they could be better than ucla or arizona state were this year those teams were awesome both of them uh but after that there's a huge drop off in the pac-12 you know and if you stick alabama or kentucky in in the pack maybe they finish third mm -hmm. um you know, yeah. I mean, and that's that's saying something. I, I think the ACC was stronger this year. I think, yeah. you know, it, it, on a similar level to the SEC, I mean, you probably still put them a tick behind the SEC, but uh, depth-wise, the ACC was was pretty darn deep this year, as deep as probably it's ever been. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I do believe those two conferences have separated themselves. Uh, the Big 12, you know, again, you have that kind of soft underbelly with the Kansas schools and everything, but, um, you know, the, the teams at the top, they need Texas to kind of get back to where it was. Yeah. Texas is down the big 12 is down that's kind of the, yeah. the general rule of thumb so um i just think the sec is one acc i think for me is, is a clear number two conference these days and uh and then there's a gap 
For sure. Aaron, appreciate the time. Last thing before we get you out of here, MLB coming back over the next couple of days. Who's your World Series pick? You got a, you got a good feel? 60-game season, every game Thank counts. You. I'm very excited for it. It's, it's going to be fun. Yeah, you're right. And I see you've, you've got the Red Sox hat on. I don't <laughs> think it's going to be Boston's year. Oh, no. uh, I, I hate to say this as, as a New England native, but I, I think the Yankees look, look yeah. pretty formidable. I think uh, they've done what they needed to do. I think adding Garrett Cole to that staff is not fair. Uh, I, I think the Yankees are, are the team to beat for me. Yeah, I think Yankees or Dodgers are probably the two front runners at this point. I don't know if you saw it literally just happened. Uh, the Dodgers looks like they're going to give Mookie Betts 13 years, $300 million, $380 million. Whoa. So, yeah. Wow. It, yeah, he's a, Mookie's getting paid. <laughs> Mookie's well, getting for paid for he, sure. He's, but, a, he's, a, he's a likable player, man. He is. for that guy. Yeah, plays the game the right way for sure. Aaron, appreciate you taking the time, man. Aaron Fit at D1Baseball.com. You guys, again, do a fantastic job. And if you're not a subscriber, listen to this show. Be sure to check them out. Subscribe, again, for all the baseball coverage. Um, you know, not just for South Carolina, but just all over college baseball. You guys do a fantastic job, man. So really appreciate you taking the time. And definitely would love to have you on, back on again soon as we get rolling, fingers crossed, fall baseball. We'll have some scrimmages to watch. We'll be able to go sit at a baseball stadium and uh, catch some baseball, man. But appreciate it. Really do thank you. appreciate you taking the time. Absolutely. My pleasure. Perfect. So for Aaron Fit, I'm Chris Phillips. We appreciate you guys tuning in. And we'll catch you next time on episode of the Spurs Up Show. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.